Welcome to We Flesh, in this here place, Black Women Be, a podcast that explores topics relevant to Black women folk and all those who love and care for us. Here, we embrace the fullness of our humanity. Here, we be in conversation and contemplation. Here, we just be together. Join me, Lisa Anderson, and my amazing co-host, Amakayla Gaston. Welcome, beloveds. In the words of Toni Morrison, in this here place, we flesh. All right, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for coming back to We Be Flesh. And I am Amakayla and... And I am Lisa Anderson, dear, dear beloved ones. <laughs> I'm excited. I know we're very That's excited. Yes, we're all here together and we are celebrating all the ways that Black women be. And today we are having a very special guest because we be operating, honey. We be operating and we be operating with Susan Callender. Oh my gosh, Lisa, that was so powerful. I mean, I, I'm so excited to to hear what you thought, but the gem for me that was coming up was the one about our worth and asking for what we are worth, mm-hmm. you know, from a financial perspective, from a, a job perspective, from a operating in the world perspective. I don't know, what, what was your takeaway? I mean, I this is hitting me and the work that I do in the world on a day-to-day basis, like right, right square in the heart, in the mm. chest. This, you know, Susan was so spectacular in really helping us to think about worth, not in terms of monetizing our humanity, mm-hmm. but in terms of really saying that we deserve security. We deserve to feel um that we can meet our needs and it's that our it. needs are a part are collective that we're interdependent yes. inside of this and and just wait until you hear where she goes around what it means to make products yes i'm not going <laughs> to give away anything oh, yeah i was about to say she it's turned all that on its head she did you she know? flipped it she flipped that script and so i'm telling you Check it out, y'all. Profit industrial complex, beware. <laughs> Love it. Susan Callender, who is the COO of Epic Education. Um, actually, she has a lot of businesses and she holds a lot of abilities and she's going to tell us all about herself today. But we just want to start off by saying welcome, Susan. Hi, welcome, I appreciate being welcomed by you all. Good to see you all. Nice to meet you. So every, every um, time as Amakela just led off in, um, in the We Flesh context com- podcast, we're always asking our, our women to focus on how they're in fleshing freedom in the different ways that they take up space in the world. So um, how do you be flesh in the world, uh, Susan? How do you in flesh you know, we could read your bio and talk about that you're an educator and a lawyer and a teacher and you care about all things uh, racial equity and justice. But tell us in your own words how you be in flesh and freedom in the world. Wow. Thank you. What a beautiful invitation. I really appreciate that. And yes, I, you know, I have a long history in terms of having worn many hats throughout my life. I um, trained as a lawyer at Stanford Law School. I practiced for 10 years as a public defender. I've done numerous um, death penalty cases. And, you know, I've been in a lot of rooms. I've done a lot of work for corporate America. I, I'm the reason why everybody has to sign those um, agreements before you start working with uh, new software or whatever. Um, I, I apologize, that's all my fault. Uh, I worked on those cases in a different iteration of me. And at some point, it, I, I've started businesses and run them up um, to, to being very successful and having successful exits, um, you know, in the Silicon Valley style. 
And at some point I came to understand that while that was awesome and working in institutionalized settings uh, was giving me a lot of access and information, I wasn't getting to bring that back to my community, specifically my community of people of color and really specifically my community of women of color. And, you know, all of the great experience and power that resides in women of color, we find ourselves managing often, right? But not owning. Mm, And at some point I wanted to really be a, a resource, a powerful resource for women of color in particular to be able to own their own businesses and run them up into successful entities that scale. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to bring all that I've learned over, I'm almost 60, y'all, um, <laughs> yes. all these years. Yay, I made it. Um, and, and bring that into the community, right? It's not about us surviving. Right. It's about us thriving. Mm-hmm. Right? That is so real. And I actually have a question because you probably have insight into glass ceilingdom more than any of us when it comes to working with high level very, you know, secret room meetings, golf course contracting, like how did you manage and maneuver when you realized that you weren't being led into that special back room? I'll be honest. I, I, you know, my family is from the Caribbean and uh, I'm first generation American and I grew up in New York city uh, in the seventies and eighties where, so the hustle grind is, um, is just part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I have always been invited into those rooms because I'm the one who actually had the answer. <laughs> I, I can't golf, but I've been to every famous golf course you can imagine, mm. you know. Um, and but what did get to a point was hitting my head against that glass ceiling and seeing my sisters hit their heads repeatedly mm-hmm. and not being invited into the the um the natural exit right because what's happened to all to everybody in in currently right is that there is no such thing as a lifetime job anymore mm-hmm. right and and that's not even something we should want frankly mm-hmm. um the security is in manifesting your own agenda right creating s- space for yourself Yes, And so when it got to the point where I realized, oh, I'm great to have around, I'm a terrific conciliary, but I'm never going to be invited to own it. Mm. Uh And I'm always going to be helping somebody else manifest their agenda. And their agenda doesn't necessarily take me into account in Mm -hmm. at the depth that I my talent warrants, mm. I said, thanks for the laughs, but I'm out. Right on. And that, that was that's, terrifying. Yeah. And that, that's so frustrating. Like you aren't, you're helping somebody else invest and create their legacy wealth and they aren't offering mm-hmm. you a seat at the table or mm-hmm. into the inner sanctum. Right. For the seat, I was at the table, but I really wasn't at the table. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's doubly frustrating. Down. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Can you, Oh, this, oh, I can't tell you how in the moment this conversation is. For real. Just, you know, um, I'm Kayla knows that I run the Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle at Auburn. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that is coming up hot and heavy for Mm -hmm. the team of women that we're working with now is this question of manifesting security that is based in your own agenda. Mm. Mm. Lots of folks transitioning from one one position to another, Mm -hmm. getting ED jobs that you thought would be the dream job. Mm. And now there's a lot of talk about for uh, BIPOC women, the, what is it they call the glass cliff? Where oh. you, get, you know, you get mm. the job as the ED of the organization, and then you find out once you get in the door, what's actually under behind the curtain mm-hmm. is dysfunction and um, financial woes and all the kinds of things. And you're expected to come in with mm-hmm. 
black girl magic and yes. and clean it up yeah absolutely absolutely yeah. that's so real but again that to me is just a continuation that's the next version mm -hmm. right of who took care of the children on yes. the plantation yeah right. right take care of me no it's not yours but fix it for me mm -hmm. right mm. and uh i'm all about solutions i'm all about problem solving problem solving i believe in glass half full and i believe that true belonging yes goes to the core goes to who gets to set the agenda who gets to reap the benefits of manifestation of the the dream right mm -hmm. who's really operating mm -hmm. um and so for me that's why i call myself an operator and not a manager for example, I love logistics. I love administrivia. I love strategic, <laughs> big strategic thinking and get getting things done, right? So we consider at Epic Education, we're consultants, right? We're communications consultants primarily. We provide the communication infrastructure for your organization to create the spaces of belonging, anti-racist, pro-justice um, uh, spaces. And we understand that as consultants, implementation is crucial. Talking mm -hmm. about it, content, you can get content from Google, mm -hmm. right? We don't need to give you the content. What we need is to give you a space where you feel safe enough to actually implement and collaborate at a depth that really moves the needle, mm -hmm. right? That's what I want. That's what we want for everyone in whatever space. So I have sort of a couple of hats, right? So I'm on the business side, helping um, particularly women of color, black women to really own what they own, right? Whatever it is their skills are, bring it into the world as your own, right? Mm -hmm. Scale that, be the person who sets the agenda that I know how to do, right? And Ooh. so I consult with people and let and help them to make that happen. And I do that in a way that, uh, you know, the other day I was I was speaking with a sister. I went to a school to do some training and I met her in the parking lot on the outside. And she said, you know, weren't you the woman who was helping to make this contract for this whole thing with the district? And I said, yes, she said, and she put her hand on me. She stopped me. She said, I have to tell you, when you made them understand that they had to pay a certain rate because you know your worth, that was so exciting to me. Ooh, yes. I said, yeah, we don't do this work for free. Yes. Right. This is work. And it's work we believe in to our very core. And we also know that people have to understand that they have to pay for things that work. Right. That is not an insult. Right. Paying for it is doesn't diminish it in any way. It in fact most often makes people understand that. In our system, that's the exchange that happens. And mm -hmm. I has decided he agrees with me and wants to participate yeah. in the podcast. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Dogs welcome. <laughs> we, are, we, are, we, are, we are creation friendly here. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, the question that I had was I wanted, she started, I wanted her to tell a story of someone, some communities, some folk that you work with, you know, that actually emboldened them around this idea of helping them to, as you said, manage, like identify and manage their own agenda. Um, and can I add to that and know their worth? Because that is so mm -hmm. crucial what you just said. And if you know your worth, then you feel empowered to manage your own agenda. Like, so you've mm -hmm. got it all covered. Love it. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. Well, well you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? So even with Epic Education, when I joined, I mean, Epic Education was founded by two amazing, brilliant twin sisters, doctors, Nancy and Dora Dome. They're fabulous. And uh, so they're such deep thinkers, right? They have really moved the needle around uh, equity in education and creating communities of belonging in, in education systems, right? Because as institutions go, it's like so many of the large institutions in this country, right? That are still rife with white supremacist thinking. And so we can move the needle just this far, but no further, right? And what uh, Nancy in particular did was to create a protocol that is crucial to scaffolding 
the fact that we're all in this together, right? Equity is not a black thing, right? It is a human thing. And we have to get to a place where anti-racist work is the, 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 the absolute um, most important leverage point for anybody in the system, right? Everybody in the system. And so she created this protocol called the RIR protocol that allows everyone to enter into the conversation where they are, right? So, so many folks of color are tired, right? Of having to be the people who lead the conversation always, having to always be the indignant person who reminds everyone of, hey, that little bauble you just dropped in the space, wow, no, mm -hmm. that's wrong, right? Um, where can we get, where can we invite our sisters and brothers of other cultures to own the need for belonging, right? And so when I got to, but when, but what we got to a place with Epic where their experience could only take the business of this business so far, right? And what often happens with particularly sisters, right, is that they get to this place where the business of a business is overwhelming while they're also still trying to provide the service that is their magic place. So Nancy and Dora are beautiful Black sisters. Um, and they really, again, super experienced in what they do, super um, capable, right? And, and, and really, again, you know, that Black sister magic just exudes from them. And being able to create the structures that are crucial to having a business grow, stabilize, grow yeah. and spread, right? Scale is the answer, yeah. right? It's not yeah. scale at all costs though. It's not scale at the cost of your marriage or the cost of selling out your concept. It's scale in using tools that are accessible to folks like the guys I used to work with and for in Silicon Valley, but that most of us don't know exist. Oh, right. And those things are held as secrets and they'll, and it's claimed that, well, I'm, you know, you could find out if you wanted to, but you don't know the question to ask. You don't have the resource, the person to say, Hey, I see where you're trying to get to. Here's the shortcut, right? That's because if you have to do the slog. You would get it. You're exhausted by the time you're going to get there. And you're like, you know what? Forget it. What you're saying is so powerful because I think for many of us, we feel um, trapped in the only way to go in this justice work is down the not-for-profit path. Mm -hmm. And that, and so you're either going to start your own not-for-profit and then spend every waking moment of your time inside of that industrial complex. Mm -hmm. in that particular kind of philanthropic world. And so you're not supposed to make any money and, or even if you think you are, like you said, you don't know what, how to even do it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the other thing I hear inside of what you say is breaking apart that idea that black women, women of color are supposed to do it all. You're supposed to know how to, you know, start the business, have the conceptual idea, run the, you know, do all of the things at once. And mm -hmm. then you wonder why, you know, we fall out, fall over, you mm -hmm. know, proportionate rates, way too young and 100%. way too tired. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And that is, and I just see it. And I was seeing my sisters over and over again. I will be honest, I'm going to out myself. I don't believe in the nonprofit model. Um, I, I think it's a, it's a game. It's a trap. It has keep become you busy, a trap, right? Chasing the grant. Right. You spend so much time, all that beautiful energy that you've got for the issue, chasing uh, the financing and yet trapped inside of, well, will, will, you know, Walmart give me some money. And when they do, do they get to decide the agenda because once again we're back to somebody else deciding the agenda mm. right? and I think that there's other structures that do that that you can accomplish doing well because I believe in doing well by doing good that mm -hmm. is at the core that's why I started when I left Stanford Law School I became a public defender because I really wanted to make sure that all the I, you know I was very lucky my my parents came here with two suitcases 
But, you know, I went to the Latin mini school in New York City and Princeton University and Stanford Law School and NYU. And so I was like, okay, if somebody needs to talk for the community, that must be me. Mm -hmm. Right. And I really have always thought of myself as a bridge between communities um, to what is, you know, there are rooms that I feel comfortable in that other folks just don't. And that's okay. Can I bring what's going on in that room to those folks? Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I thought that that's what I thought I was going to do. I thought I was going to be a public defender for life. And that system is so the, the criminal justice system in this country is a whole nother conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. We know it is, it is, it has rotten, right. It has rotted to the core. And so I, I didn't, See, I, I couldn't do make the changes through that system that I feel like I made to do. Right, mm -hmm. that my trot in this life is about change and and getting change implemented. Right, um, and the beauty. Mm -hmm. It sounds like what you can accomplish by having done all the things that you've done and knowing all the shortcuts and inner sanctum worlds and is that you could be the Trojan horse for the rest of the folk that haven't had that kind of experience to let us even know that there's a shortcut slash inner sanctum slash way to get to so-and-so and such and such by doing such and such apprenticeship and this blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, the, you know, I've worked a lot with, you know, young African-American women and these mm -hmm. young girls who are, who are trying to get to college are so busy, like you said, overworking for the perfection piece that they don't know that there is a summer job that they need to take or a summer apprenticeship to give them the road to the this, to the that. Like there's a there's a way and a strategy to play this game in the United States that unfortunately is still, you know, has heads of tables, rectangular tables versus round tables. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like your organization and you are trying to make the round table for all of us to sit at it equally, which is great work and we thank you for real thank you it's interesting because when I was going to law school um I worked with um the first black president of the New York City Bar Association at the time he and I were doing speeches and things together I was writing for him and you know I, I had spent a lot of time in the streets right you know anti-apartheid movements getting pulled by the hair by the cops I had really long locks at the time and he said you know at some point, somebody has to be inside to open the door. Mm -hmm. And he's like, and so he was inviting me because I was like, I don't want to be a corporate lawyer, you know, whatever. That's, you know, basically telling him that he had sold out or whatever. Right. Because I was young and spitty, spit fire. And he's like, you know, when you're banging on the door, somebody's got to open it. Mm. Who's going to be inside to open it? Yes. And over the years, I, I have just continued to chew on that. Um, as as being that person for as many people as I can be um, in every uh, iteration, right, of that, you know. Yeah. You know. You're hitting on, um, oof. so we're all around the same age. I bet, you know, I probably am probably the eldest by a couple years maybe in the room. But I grew up in that generation. I think my mother's generation was the last generation where you had the one job for life kind of thing. You know, that, that yes. organization that you worked with. At that time, she worked, it was the old IBM. And that was like you strove for those jobs, right? You got that job and it had the benefits that paid you for and you could you could imagine retiring and retiring well. Mm -hmm. And that had already started to deteriorate by the time we were, you know, coming into the world. But, you know, mm -hmm. I grew up and I went to seminary in the old liberation theology days when it was just getting started. Right. And so I've always struggled inside of the framework that you are presenting that is exactly what feels right now, but sort of the other, the, the, the liberation theology end of, I'm not going to be the corporate person, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But But my struggle has been that same one of what does it mean to acquire um, wealth and resources to make a profit inside of the work that we do that is actually um, helping our communities move toward freedom and mm -hmm. to see those things as 
going hand in hand when, when you're not making a quote unquote product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, like if mm-hmm. I were making beautiful silk clothing, I mm-hmm. could understand, yes, I should make a profit. Mm-hmm. But if I say we're prophetic leaders and we're doing leadership work and we're trying to topple systems of oppression, and then I say, and I want to be set around that and I want my people to be set, mm-hmm. you know, what does that look like? And so what's, what's, you know, I just would, you know, one of our questions that we like to ask is what is the vision of the world mm-hmm. that you want to see. And so you're presenting something that I think the generation now and beyond sort of knows, but I'd just like you to talk about, you know, how inside of, I grew up in, oh, the capitalist evil system, like all of those things that we've just Me been too. <laughs> And so how do we reconcile that with ways that we're understanding freedom that allow us to say, and yes, the not-for-profit model is not necessary. It's not the way we're going to get free. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, what is what is that freedom, that world that you're imagining and you're creating? Mm-hmm. You give us like taste of it. <laughs> we'll 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 tease it out together. I'm all about co-creation. And you know, when I first got to law school, the first week of law school, um, I went on a fast. Uh, that was being led worldwide by Angela Davis and some others in support of Haiti. And um, that week, I also was fortunate enough to meet Bernice Reagan, you know, the founder of Sweet Honey and the Rock. And I, we were having, they were having tea and I, she asked me why I wasn't eating and I told her. And she looked at me square in the eye and she said, you know, baby, because, you know, there were 10 Black people in my class at Stanford Law School. And she said, I, I love you. I love that you are passionate and you want to be in support of this movement. She's like, but you just got there. And you're spending your time and your energy, you know, on this when your peers, particularly my white peers, were spending their time and energy figuring out how to excel at Stanford Law School. And she said, you got to take care of yourself first, you know, make sure these are important things to be committed to and make sure that you're taking care of yourself first, you know, put your face mask on first, right. Before you put on your children's. And at the time, once again, I was like, thank you. And, you know, grumble, grumble, grumble. But again, as the years have gone by, I've come to understand that where it's okay for us to want to be secure. It's okay for us to want to enjoy uh, some of the benefits that accrue from um, putting good things into the world. And it's okay also for us to reframe how we look at capitalism and those sorts of structures. We don't have to accept all of the, the version of that that has exploited and been non-sustainable, right? For this planet and for the people on this planet, right? So when I say do well and do good, it is not because I need to have every, you know, I don't need to be a trillionaire to feel like I'm living well and I need to feel secure, right? I need to be able to be paid for my time, right? You are, liberation is a product, right? and not only is that it, it, you're worth it. It's not just just right. it's okay. It, you're worth it. You're worth being secure. That's how we keep going. And it's crucial. Yeah. If if we all felt secure, right? I mean, that goes right back to Maslow, right? We all want to be part of the tribe, and and creating the space that does that makes a better world. Mm-hmm. That is what we pay our politicians to do, but very often they lose sight of that the minute they get wherever they're getting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so to me, product, product, you know, th- that's, that's a dirty word these days. Right. Or, you know, everybody wants to be a brand. Um, that's fine. When we remember that all of us are interconnected and to me, remembering that and holding on to that and um, expanding that notion of product and 
um, wealth into a space that acknowledges that there's enough for everyone, but we have to be intentional, intentional about including everyone. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't happen. Humans aren't built that way, right? We're like beavers. We want to build our bridge, so we take all the wood. Mm-hmm. We build it, right? But we need to be more like bees. Yeah. Right? But that's an intention. And so for Epic Education, for example, we, in, we are very intentional about saying that we are, um, we're the structure that you can use to collaborate. And you all have to do the collaboration. Our clients know that when they work with us, they're going to work. We do not come in as talking heads. I always tell people, look, I love Beyonce, but I'm not Beyonce. If I'm in a room with you and I'm training, this is not entertainment. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're here to work today. It's going to be fun. It's going to be hard. You're going to feel awkward, but you're always safe. And let's get something done today. So you can leave the room feeling like you got something done. And by the way, you're going to pay me for it. Right. Cause that feeling is worth something, right? That environment is valuable, not just to your organization, but to all the organizations and people that you touch. Why wouldn't we pay for that? Yeah. You know, so that that's kind of the vision that, that we have. You taught me something hmm. really. I mean, I, I can feel like emotion. <laughs> um, liberation as a product, you know, and you're, you're challenging around the notion of product being a, not a dirty word. Mm-hmm. Um the idea that we would produce the state of liberation, that we mm. would be about, I am going to produce the capacity, the state. Mm. I'm going to, and so the yes. outcome, the byproduct of this scaffolding, this thing that we do. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, inside of, supremacist logics and plantation logic that always had the product as you know and our bodies as the tool black bodies Mm -hmm. as the tool and the product you know or that was something that would not benefit us Mm -hmm. to turn that on its head and then to attach greater and greater space for belonging inside of that Mm. You know, that's 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 a word. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 receiving that. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, you're uh-huh. enfleshing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. Can I ask? You know, as we are talking about the 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 power of the words that you're saying, how do you stay grounded? And you know, do you have any practices or rituals that you do so that you can go out the next day and keep doing the great work that you're doing? I take breaks. <laughs> mm. So, oh, uh, you know, we we are um, epic education gets that the the you know we're holding space. We are very often in rooms where, um, you know, folks are just past the raised consciousness of accepting that there's something to do. Right, I will tell you. Um, um, we were, you know, we were, we've been doing this work for seven years. And in the summer when George Floyd was murdered, we were in a district that was very, that was under, you know, the the Justice Department decree. They had to do work, right? That had been so bad there. Um, and we were getting these constant verbal attacks from people in the district who were, had to do the work, right? And the day after George Floyd's uh, murder, one of them who had been the most vociferous sent us an email thanking us and apologizing for how he had been because Mm. suddenly he understood the importance of doing the work. Um, So we we do have, you know, for a while there, I was getting terrible death-ready calls every morning from folks who had heard about us on somebody else's podcast on a very ultra conservative podcast. And so we've gotten to a place where we get that, you know, we have unlimited um, vacation time as a company. 
Um, again, this is about living what we say we're about, right? That caring for people and caring about people is a meta thing. So as a company, we operate from that place, right? Mm-hmm. We have unlimited PTO. We have um, almost, I think, eight weeks a year where we're just closed. Mm-hmm. We close. It's not about making people go take vacation. The company's closed. We tell our right clients, on. you all should close too. Uh, we all need to you hiring <laughs> and recharge, um, you know, um, and and we were closed on Fridays to the public so that people can have space to do what they need to do um, uh, to 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 recharge themselves. We, we give a stipend every year um, for people to do with it what they want. Go take a class, go get a massage, whatever you need to do. Mm. Um, right. Cause you've got to take care of yourself. For me, it really is, um, you know, just hanging with my beloved and, um, playing poker, <laughs> you know, um, and, and just taking just fallow time, you know, mm-hmm. um, trying not to accomplish anything <laughs> during that time. Right. So Shutting my brain off. That's great. I love it. I love it. The practice of trying not to accomplish anything is a thing. <laughs> yes. A thing. Yes. That's thing. hard. Yeah. The first time I heard about the NAP ministry, NAP, I was like, oh, what an amazing no. ministry to have, how to make yourself committed to caring for self and taking mm-hmm. a nap, caring for self and not trying to accomplish something, caring mm-hmm. for self and putting down the to-do list and turning your brain off. It's hard. I used to work in Asia a lot. I had a lot of clients in uh, Taiwan and, and they have a practice there every afternoon after lunch, they close, they t- turn off the lights and people put their heads on their desks and they nap. Mm. I'll tell you the first time I saw that, I thought what's happening right now. I, I, you know, <laughs> I was this intense corporate lawyer. You know, I've just flown 20, mi- 20, 20 hours to come do work. What are y'all doing? And I thought, Hmm. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's wrong with me? I had a yoga teacher once, and I think I told Ami this story one time. So we're in it's New York City yoga class, and the instructor is giving us, you know, the 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 pose, and he gives an alternative to the pose for those who can't get into the pose because it's mm-hmm. a new one. Mm-hmm. Almost no one in the class could get into the pose. But uh-huh. no one chose the alternative. So and he just stopped the class and he said, this is the most American thing I have ever seen. There <laughs> uh-huh. it is. And then he went, and then on top of it, you're New Yorkers. So it's even- <laughs> And then he said the thing that just struck me. He said, you know, it's supposed to be as easy mm. as it can be. Mm. Wow. Um, as wow. hard. Mm-hmm. And that you'll never be able to call yourself a practitioner mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. your goal is to make it as hard as possible. Wow. Because wow. Wow. Component mm-hmm. to the ease of it. Yes. And, you know, it made me wonder what do we think about ourselves as humans? Mm-hmm. How have we been conditioned? Um, if we believe it should be as hard as possible, it mm-hmm. should be, we should be on the grind. It mm-hmm. should be impossible. Right. Um, you know, it should, it should, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, all of huh? this, we say that, you know, live inside of our bodies and back to your point, and we shouldn't make any money doing it, or we shouldn't know what we're worth. And again, always coming back to the, to the, to the, to the ancestors, Audrey Lord about caring for yourself being yes. radical and revolutionary mm-hmm. activity. Yeah. yeah I actually have a question for both of you as New Yorkers, because I know it's, it's one thing to be a quote unquote American. It's another thing, the grind in New York and to be like the mm-hmm. hustle and bustle is so baked into not just how you prove your success and worth, but also like how you show uh, yourself a good time. You just keep going, 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 going. How have you all, both of you, flipped that on its head, that script of going and doing and equals being? How do you 
relax from that when it's so baked into the beingness of being. Mm. Dramatic pause. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a tough laughs> one. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another little story. So I got sick. Um, I really, I, I, I lived that life that you just described, um, Lisa, until it literally made me sick. It ate through my esophagus and I had to have surgery, surgery to repair it. And I had a surgeon. He's a very well-known Russian surgeon around here. And he's very, I say his his culture because it, it's definitely got sort of a very tight, I you know, he barely said two words to me the entire three or four months that we were working together until the day he needed, I needed him to sign off on me being able to go back to work because I had gone out on, you know, disability for a couple of months. And I went to him and gave him the paperwork and he looked at me and he said, you know, it's your job that caused this illness. And these were basically the first words he had spoken to me. And I was shocked. I was like, wait, what's happening right now? Who's, who's speaking? Is that God? Um, and he said, if you want, you don't I need to go back to work. There's, there's an absolute direct correlation. And I will just sign the paperwork and you can be out on disability forever, basically. And I looked at him incredulous. I was like, I, I, I really probably, if I really am honest, I was insulted. Mm. What are you saying? Right? That I'm going to, you know. And I went, I said, no, don't worry. We're going to make accommodations. I, you know, because I was a corporate lawyer. I was working 3,300 hours a year and billing every minute. And, you know, and it was real time. It wasn't made up time, shower time, like some people do. It was real work. And I said, don't worry, you know, I'm not going to do as many trials, I, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So that was a that was September. By December, the beginning of December, I had been assigned two new trials. And I used to manage big teams for trials. And so it is all encompassing. And I remember the very beginning of December, and I had spent the last two Christmases, Christmas Eve, flying to Taiwan on Christmas Eve to do depositions on Christmas and fly back the next day. I had done that two years running. And the beginning of December, I got a new trial and I realized, oh shoot, he was right. I, I'm part of it, it wasn't them, it was me, right? I'm digital, right. I'm either at full speed or I'm not talking to you. Right, and work equals worth. I mean, that's and really what we've been- It was my about. entire identity. It yeah, was yeah. who I was. I'm that yeah. super aggro type A, mm -hmm. you know, I, I can do this. Yeah. And I quit. I quit. I retired from that world. And on that day, because I needed to learn how to take care of myself. That was the one thing I didn't mm -hmm. know how to do. Mm -hmm. um, and so, of course, six months later, I started my own business and went on another two year um, Jack, but that's another story for another day. But I have learned that in order to actually live and having now, you know, someone worth living with and for, I take it very seriously that I have to uh, take care of myself, mm. you know, pause. Wow. I think, whew, I think the New York story, I think leaving New York was one of the things that I had, I realized I had to do. Wow. Yeah. And I think the, the short, the short image that I'll give is so, you know, I lived in a brownstone. It was just one flight up. It wasn't a huge amount, but I used to haul my laundry, you know, that's, you know, you schlep everything. New York is just, it's just one giant schlep of everything. <laughs> you have the fact that you say there. schlep is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so I remember there was this one day when I was bring, schlepping my laundry up the stairs and it was in, you know, you, every New Yorker has a, you know, a cart, you know, and there was a young brother. I mean, he was significantly younger than me. And, you know, he saw me and he had home training. So he was going to bring my thing up the stairs for me. And he just kind of did the bravado thing. Like, of course, this can't really be as heavy as all that. She's just, you know, a woman. And so I'm just going to haul it up the stairs. <laughs> and he pulled it and it was really heavy. And he looked at me with this disappointment and sadness in his face. 
Wow. And then just says, sis, hmm. what are you doing? You know, and, and it was, you know, of course it was lovely, because, but it was also, this is hard for me. Mm-hmm. And he was a full 30 years younger than me. Now there's a part of me was like, yeah, I'm badass. And then there was <laughs> another part of me that yeah. was like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, that word schlepping and that, what am I doing? It isn't until somebody breaks that cycle, kind of like the horse going round and round and round on the track that you even realize that what you're doing is unbearable and exhausting because we're so taught to keep going, go and go. And especially as black women, we have this, everybody expects us to handle everything. And so we expect us to handle everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the way we talk to each other, right? Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily encourage that break enough, yes. right? We support and encourage and uh, hooray for you know, you doing it, girl, when it's the schlep, when it's the grind, I'm inviting us to do more of it when we're also not grinding and we're just pausing and taking a hot tub, right? And not once in a while, all the time. We get massages regularly. Yes, I do. I go wherever I need to go to get a massage because my body needs it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I want to celebrate that too. And I want us to be able to afford to do those things. Yes, because that's how we be operating. We not only operate to take care of others, we take care of ourselves and we take care of ourselves first. Yes. Can we leave with one ask, just one? Because our producer's over here saying you gotta stop soon. (laughs) But, But Susan, is there a book, a song, something that you carry with you that you'd like to leave us with by way of inspiration? Just- anything, a sound that just warms you, that makes you feel like, like the Susan that the divine created you to be? Oh my goodness. Um, there's so many beautiful songs, um, particularly there, there's, there's a great record um, by a woman named Amakela <laughs> that, I, that I love. Um called Midnight Sun. I love, I love that record. Also, I think the thing that I carry with me at my hardest, hardest moments is a quote from an entity called Abraham that says, all is well, everything always works out. And although that sounds as trite as can be, try it. Mm. I invite you to try it. glad you came on thank you so much thank you thank you for you thank you you are a blessing yes wow i thank you both i really do all of you this is a great idea i I love this i I look forward to promoting you uh, (laughs) and uh, watching it flourish the world needs you oh thank you so much and you wow Mm. The following exercise is taken from the Tarrying Place, which is the digital home of the Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle. We invite you in this time to take a break with a cup of tea. Listen and be present. Be present, beloved, to your own need to just sit and be still. Enjoy. What does black joy taste like? Is it the sweet taste of lavender? 
Is it the soothing, soothing taste of chamomile? Or is it the peace that I feel when I taste and sip peppermint as it goes through my lips, as it warms me, as I sip it with my siblings? I feel nourished in this blessing, in this ritual. And in this space, in this time, that I take for myself, it doesn't need to be something complicated. This ritual that we take for tea, it can be in your kitchen, it can be in your living room, it could even be out and about in the street with your favorite bag that may be crumpled up in your back pocket that you keep with you just for these moments when you have time on the go. But since there's this time that you have to take for yourself, it's important. It may be for rest. It may be a pause to breathe. It may be for that serenity that you need in these moments that we all need for ourselves to sustain ourselves and to relax into the magic that we need for the joy of our blackness. Thank you for listening to We Flesh, an offering of Auburn Seminary's Sojourner Truth Leadership Circle. For more content and offerings created by Black women for Black women, visit us at tarryingplace.org. Our podcast is produced and edited by Courtney Weber Hoover with cover art by Matt C. and music by Amakela Gaston and Alexander Nakarada. If you'd like to support our work, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, beloveds.